On this week's episode, a bunch of people go into space to find this thing floating around in space, and they discover a crazy person. Wait a second. This sounds awfully familiar. I don't know if this is deja vu or what, but I'm Choice Sour, maybe? I'm defeated. <laughs> and this is not a bomb. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to a brand new, exciting episode of Not a Bomb. Well, I don't know if it's exciting. It's something, I'll tell you that. Uh, for those of you just joining, the entire premise of this is we were supposed to pick films that bombed at the movie theater and that maybe critics didn't like and maybe reevaluate them and say, hey, this isn't so bad. You should give it a second look. We this one might have merits or yeah, yeah. something. Um, I, I, we may have messed up this week. <laughs> we, Can we just go ahead and apologize now to anyone who maybe was playing along with us and decided supernova sounds like a cool movie. I'll give that a watch. So I know what they're talking about on the podcast. Yes. A big apology right out of the gate for anybody playing along that said, Hey, Brad and Troy, are pretty good at picking films. And you know what? I should go back and watch some of these things that they are picking. Full disclosure right now, don't don't go watch this one. That'll probably tell you where we're going to land by the end of the episode, but we, we might be getting ahead of ourselves. Brad, uh, how's, how's your day going? I mean, the Olympics are going. Or is there a particular country you're rooting for more than anything? Well, the United States, obviously, um, but an alumni of my high school won in fencing. So really? I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah. So they medaled? Uh, yeah. Gold medal. Uh, Lee, what was her name? Lee something. She was in fencing. She was an alumni of my high school and then went to Notre Dame. So um, yeah, I was pretty excited about that. You know, it's like I'm one degree away from winning a gold medal. That's how that works, Troy. Oh yeah. I read that somewhere. I uh, was rooting for the U.S. of course, but uh, I, I mean, honestly, I was rooting for Sweden because I thought that's where Swedish fish were made, but did a little research and apparently they're made in Canada. Canada, yeah. So I'm rooting for Canada now because um, we're trying to get that Swedish Not fish sure endorsement. Canada is the best uh, summer Olympics um, country, but you know. Hey, sure. I'm, I'm rooting for Canada. So, they have skateboarding now. So yes. all my stoner friends that you know were in high school, they could have maybe won a gold medal if they would have kept at it. So. Have you been watching any of the Olympics? I, I've watched a little bit. I've w I watch most of the soccer. So oh, okay. I watch the women's soccer and things like that. Okay. Well, uh, one thing that I wished I didn't watch was this week's movie from 2000. Brad, what, what are we reviewing this week? We are, well, we're reviewing 2000s science fiction film, which, you know, when people hear we're doing a science fiction film, usually you and I are very excited. This one was directed by Walter Hill. Credited as, credited as uh, Thomas Lee. We'll get into that. But it is Supernova, uh, starring the likes of James Spader, Angela Bassett. What's the uh, 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 Lou Diamond Phillips? You know, yes. Pretty solid cast. Robert what Forster for 
four minutes, I think. Um, yeah. I, I have to ask you, so the <laughs> we've, we've reviewed, and we'll get into this in more detail, but we've talked about Event Horizon. I, I think that was your pick, right? It, correct. Okay. We, we talked about Sunshine. I, I think that was your pick as well. So you're you're saying there's a theme that I like to be like alone in space? Yeah, I'm I'm just wondering had you seen this film prior or was this a first time watch for you? No, this was this was one of those that because of things like Sunshine, Event Horizon had always kind of been on my radar, but I never really like went out to 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 watch it. Um the critic response kind of scared me a little bit and it's got a weird production history that I, I kind of knew about. Um, but it was mostly like, Hey, I don't think this movie, anyone likes this movie. And it's not one like event horizon and sunshine in the circles that we run with people will mention those films yes. quite a bit. Cause even if you don't like sunshine, it's got a look, uh, even if you don't like event horizon, it's got some things going on that make it interesting. Um, it also has sort of a look. This one is, in that camp, but like not, <laughs> you know, it's like it wants to play in that league, but it's not even playing the same sport. So um, it, it, it's one that I'm glad that I saw as like a science fiction, like completist. But um, are you Brad? Are you really glad you saw this thing? No, okay. I'm, I'm not. I'm ashamed. But um, I, I yeah, just you know. I didn't know if you were just trying to go through and pick in, in the science fiction genre. Every film of somebody going out to find something floating in space and comes across a crazy person. If, if like we were going to go through all of them this year, I, you know, it was, that was like coincidence, I think, but I think, you know, subconsciously I do like that theme. I didn't really know the full plot of this movie. I knew there was a rescue vessel and a distress call and that was about it. Okay. So, well, hey, excuse me. Let's get into this thing. So the very first thing we like to talk about is the box office numbers. Like, why did it show up on a podcast called Not a Bomb? So, Brad, let's go through the numbers on this one. This this has a very interesting backstory across the board. Yeah. So, I mean, production on this thing dates back all the way to 1988 and finally comes out in January of 2000. Um, has a reported budget somewhere between 60 to 90. I lean towards the 90 because everything I have read with all the reshoots, bringing in other directors, editing, and then, you know, going back and re-editing again and trying to figure out what this thing was, they spent about $90 million. Um, and if you were to tell me they spent $90 million on this thing, I would say, where? Where did you spend $90 million? Because I have... No idea, because it doesn't look like it cost $90 million. Nope, not at all. The box office totals were $14 million, oh, $14.8 million, I'm sorry, $14.8 million. It made about half a million dollars internationally, so it makes about 98% of its money domestically. It opens eighth. Um, it's opening weekend. makes $5.7 million, um, so you can kind of tell that it makes – some little money the first weekend and then completely drops off. Cause if you go a opening of almost six and your total is 14, you know, your multiplier is not very good. It um, opened with films like my dog skip. Okay. 
Never seen next, it, but I'm sure it's next, better. Yeah, next Friday, which I will tell you is much better than this movie. Agreed. It's not even a great Friday movie. Correct. Um, and then Down to You, which is a Freddie Prince Jr. movie. Which I'm sure is Academy is, quality compared to this thing. Yes. So I don't know. We usually mention this when things come out in January and February, but usually when things are in January and February, it's kind of the dumping ground. It's where films, they just push them off to say, well, we don't know what to do with this thing. So let's just put it out early and get it over with. Well, it's, it's either dumping ground or you have something that started a limited release in December that was supposed to get an Academy yeah, Award nomination films. <laughs> and you get the prestige film. So when you go to the theater in January, you're either seeing complete crap or something that is nominated for Academy Award. This was complete crap. Not, not, not I, Academy Award. Yes. I, I don't think, I don't think it was going to hit the, the Academy prestige. So agreed. Also critics did not like this film. It has a 10% on rotten tomatoes, which that, is one of the lowest. It's too high. The, lowest one of the lowest we've done on this show 17 percent on uh audience score as well audiences and critics pretty much in line Uh, what critic could possibly put that in the 10 percent who said anything positive about this thing i want to i want to talk with that person anybody uh, chuck rudolph did so let's go to his house and no let's not um This, uh, I had the consensus and then you made me go look up who was, uh, oh, here's the critics consensus. Okay. This is an insult to the sci-fi genre with no excitement and bad FX. Yeah. Chuck Rudolph. Take that shit. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And I agree. I agree. 100%. This film is terrible. Yes. Terrible. (sighs) Terrible. I apologize now. It's good. This is going to be one of those shows where it's what it. I'm sorry. Keep going. I'm derailing already. Well, I'm it's so frustrating. It's funny because you and I never text our thoughts on film. No, never. Uh, we never spoil. But you and I, I could, I know you and you know me. Yes. Um, as soon as this was over, I was like, oh boy. Yeah. Yikes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I remember mentioning last week. I'm like, hey, we haven't really had a bomb. Yeah. In a what really what long was time. that about? Did you wish know, this on it. us? Oh my god. I cursed us. All right. Um, and I've seen this thing before and I don't know what it is. I'll be honest. And and we can talk about this in detail. I think it's because we watched the other films that, uh, this was a film that I, for whatever reason it was on sale. I think it's a shout factory, uh, Blu-ray. It, it showed up on uh, sale during COVID bought it, watched it. And I don't think I had the visceral reaction to it. That viewing that I did this time uh, and I, I remember watching it, uh, not in the theater, but maybe when it came out on home video, but there was just something that hit me wrong that, uh, I mean, if Chuck Rudolph were sitting right here, I'd probably throat punch him for just giving this thing a positive review. <laughs> that, that supernova shout factory is sold out. Like you can't get that thing anymore. Who? Okay. So I don't right. understand. I don't, I'm so confused. I'm damn it. Internet. You're, you're dumb. Okay. <laughs> Well, I even went like on Amazon to look at review, like five star reviews, and they're not even that good. It's just people like, well, what'd you expect? It's just a space movie. I'm like, dude, you have like $90 million. I expect a lot. I I don't know about you, but there's something, and I, I think we've talked about this in the past, when a major studio gets a budget that's like north of $50 million. I'm just throwing that as a just 
you know, line in the sand. When, when you're spending more than $50 million, your job at that point is entertain me. If you've got some artistic quality, awesome. You've just got to entertain me. And there is no reason why a film should fail at all when you're spending that kind of money on it. Now, your independent films that are shot on $300,000 or, you know, on the weekends for the next three or four years, I'll give those suckers a pass all day long because they don't have the budget. They don't have the talent that, you know, it's really true guerrilla filmmaking. They're doing it from a passion perspective and they're putting some, some probably bigger ideas than they have budget for, but I will always give those a pass. And I find those way more entertaining than these stinkers where the, you know, 50 to a hundred million dollars get thrown out the door and you can't even entertain me. I mean, seriously, that's, that's ridiculous. Yeah. We talk about like making films is really hard. Absolutely. And if you don't yeah. have a major studio backing you and you're doing this as more of a hobby, as opposed to ways to make millions of dollars, you look at those things a lot differently. It's more artistic. Like you said, there is a more sort of, gorilla underground let's get our knees dirty sort of deal major studio pictures have thousands of people working on that on those films um you know you have second unit directors and all these things and this and that and catering you know you are doing two different things when you make an indie film and when you make a major studio film you know we're getting close to a hundred million dollars for this movie a hundred million dollars you expect some sort of quality and some sort of evidence <laughs> that 90, like if you would have told me, Hey, after this came out, they investigated a lot of people and this was just a huge money laundering scheme. And they took that $90 million and ran. <laughs> I would say, yep. I believe every word of that. Cause it is definitely not evident in this movie. Yeah. And you know, you bring, you bring up something. I mean, you've got actors, directors, everybody else who, especially the actors, they're in front of the camera, they're getting paid to star in something and they get free catering. I, I mean, the studio is putting out catering. I don't know about you, but I'm at my most productive when the company buys me lunch. Oh, you buy me free lunch. I will work my ass off yeah. the rest of the day. I'm not, I, I don't know what the catering situation was on this film, but when we talk about performances, I'm assuming that the, you know, catering was like bologna sandwiches from four weeks ago. You bring me a bagel in the morning. You're looking at a very productive Brad for the rest of the day. Hollywood just messed up. All right. So, <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about the people who made this piece of junk. And that's even saying it politely. Uh, we are going to start with the director, Thomas Lee. So that is actually a pseudonym for Walter Hill. He, and when we get into the production, um, we'll talk about what happened and why he removed his name. But Walter Hill has been on the podcast before. So specifically, we talked about Streets of Fire, which is one of my favorites. And Brad, you said it was a bomb. Cameron's favorite film, I believe. Yeah, it's one of his favorites. Brett, who was on the show, absolutely loved it too. So big shout out to Brett, also as a new dad. Um, congrats, buddy. Um, Charlie yeah, is on his uh, second kid. So congrats to that too. We haven't said that. And this is, you know, old news, but... They've been on the show. Congrats. You guys are amazing fathers and can't wait to, you know, see all the baby pictures. Uh, but I digress. So we've talked about Walter Hill and we've did bring some positivity into the, episode. we had to, yeah, we had, I hate that we have to celebrate their new, you know, additions to the family on this film, but yeah, 
Okay. So Walter Hill this time, we've talked about him in detail. He's one of my favorite. I, I think he's a fantastic American director and he will be on the show again. I mean, a movie like Extreme Prejudice with Nick Nolte is something that uh, I want to talk about at some point. But leading up to this film, he had done uh, Wild Bill in 1995, Last Man Standing in 1996 with Bruce Willis and Bruce Christopher Willis, Walken. Yeah. Uh, he did a TV series, um, Perversions of Science, and then and that was in 97 and it led to Supernova. But we, we talked about the fact that his name's not listed as director. It's actually Thomas Lee. So it really should have been Alan Smithy is, is the name they typically would have used. And by they, I'm talking about the Directors Guild of America. So do you know the history of Alan Smithy, Brad? I, I do. Um, it started, what, 1968, I believe? Yes. Um, it is essentially a way for directors to disown films that they feel were taken away from them. And so to not get their name sort of besmirched by terrible movies, they would give it to a guy named, it was supposed to be Alan Smith, but Alan Smith is too generic. So right. Alan Smithy. Um, and that was a way to just kind of say, Hey, the studio took this away from me. I didn't have final, whatever. I didn't really direct it. The studio did. So they're just going to put this guy's name on it. So I can, yeah, I don't want this on my filmography. Do you have some of the notable films that have been directed by Alan Smitty? Well, you talked about 1968. That was Death of a Gunfighter. So that's yep. where it all started. And basically, you had the original director, Robert Toten. And he is bumped off the project. They bring Don Siegel on. And the end product, it's a combination of both directors. But both directors are like, hey, I'm not owning this film. It's not my vision. And so both of them kind of agree it's just a movie that the studio owns. And so the Directors Guild of America, the DGA, come up with this name. They slap it on there. And like you said, Brad, it, it's a name that anytime you see directed by Alan Smithy, and you would have seen it probably from 1968 to 2000. It was discontinued when Supernova came around. And well... <laughs> Let me back up for a second. Two years earlier. Two years earlier. So what happened in 1998, there's a movie called an Alan Smithy film, Burn, Hollywood, Burn. It's supposed to be a comedy. It stars. Have you ever seen this film? I have not. I have not seen this film. I'm going to now. Okay. So I've seen it. And there's a reason why I own it. Uh, I think the version I have is on Laserdisc because I don't think it's ever been released past that. But it has Ryan O'Neill, Coolio, Chuck D., Eric Idle, Sylvester Stallone, Whoopi Goldberg, and of course, Jackie Chan. That's why you saw it. That's why I saw it. Yep. Wait a minute. <laughs> yes. There's that's the a cast. movie with Coolio and Jackie Chan in the same movie. And Eric Idle from Monty Python fame yeah. and Whoopi okay. Goldberg. Yeah. So the whole premise is that Eric Idle is actually named Alan Smithy and he is a director who has a film that he doesn't want it released and they can't use the name Alan Smithy on it because that's his actual name. It is an absolutely terrible film. Terrible. It was directed by Arthur Hiller. Now, Arthur Hiller has a really, really bad experience on this studio interferes and specifically one person interferes, but he comes back and Arthur Hiller goes to the DGA and says, Hey, producer Joe Esterhaus, Joe Esterhaus of basic instinct and showgirls fame Mm -hmm. had interfered with the creative control. And Arthur Hiller says, remove my name from this. It's not my film. I mean, the studio interfered. Joe Esterhaus was getting in the way. 
so that I want nothing to do with the final product. So Alan Smithy was credited as the director, but this film was so bad and everybody tore it up and they were making, you know, now people up to that point probably thought Alan Smithy was an actual person directing yeah, movies the since internet 1968. Yeah. So what happens is everybody kind of catches on that Alan Smithy is actually, you know, it's this, A it's pseudonym. the secret pseudonym that says this person didn't direct it. So the DJ goes, well, you know, cat's out of the bag. So we're going to go ahead and sunset that. However, you will see it on some films. I think it was used all the way up to 2015, but the DGA doesn't recognize it. And actually supernova was the next film to kind of fall into this category where the DGA said, well, we just retired Alan Smithy because of this really crappy film called Alan Smithy. And so they said, well, you can use the name Thomas Lee and take your name off of it. And we'll talk about why, but that that's why you have the Thomas Lee name. And that's a little bit history, you know, a little bit of history about Alan Smithy. You were asking about films directed by Alan Smithy to be, to be quite honest. When I hear that name, it's this Alan Smithy film, burn Hollywood burn that comes to mind because it's a Jackie Chan. Did, were there any other Alan Smithy films that you can remember? I remember, isn't, I want to say Birds 2 is an Alan Smithy, uh, the, Yeah, Bert, well, it's... Um, the Birds, Bert, The Birds. Was it The Birds or Birdemic? No, The Birds 2. The Birds 2? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, and then I remember, it was one of the Hellraiser movies, I believe. There was another one. Oh, yeah, yep. Hellraiser bloodline okay so you know one of those terrible hellraiser movies that they pigeonhole uh pinhead into but anyway uh yeah and you said up to 2015 old 37 looks like the last time alan smitty in 2015 was used so it still creeps up every now and then uh, but again the internet kind of ruined that um you know sort of hollywood secrets in a way which is one of like when you think about it is is pretty ingenious of the directors guild to say well screw the studios we we're the director and we didn't get to do what we're supposed to do so why should i take credit for it let's come up with someone to give you know the studios a chance to to give credit to someone that doesn't exist cuz they basically did as much as i did you know is kind of their argument i, I think one of my <laughs> This is unrelated, but unrelated. But I remember hearing about um, Stephen King had a pseudonym of Richard Bachman. So anytime it was more of a thriller or something like that, it was a Bachman, you know. And then uh, I believe he used the picture of like a janitor or something at some point in time. But anyway, that was discovered that Richard Bachman was actually Stephen King and all that. So that's always kind of one of my favorite things is, you know when it was different than like horror, it was, it was a Bachman when it was horror, it was Stephen King. So anyway. Yeah. And it's, it's used outside of just film. It's used on TV shows or TV films, or even when they edit something. So as an example, Dune gets re-edited to a director's cut outside oh, that's of right. the David Dune Lynch. Was the big one. Yes. So yes. it, it gets, you know, flagged Alan Smithy. I thought this was interesting. So there was a film, uh, it's kind of a spoof of horror films that came out in 81 called student bodies. That's directed by Alan Smithy. It's a really dumb film, but I enjoy it. But but here's the thing that was really interesting. So in 1983, second assistant director Anderson House used the pseudonym for the segment in Twilight Zone, the movie. So 
he was a second unit director who wanted his name pulled out. And the reason why he wanted his name pulled off of that was because oh, of the, the accident. Yeah, the, the helicopter accident between Vic Morrow and two children where they were killed. So, you know, John Landis, you, you can go and, and watch um, some actually pretty interesting documentaries on that whole thing. But uh, yeah, that, that was the first time a second unit director took it off. But anytime you see Alan Smithy, they've done it in video games, everything else. It basically means, dude, I want nothing to do with this film. So Walter Hill is the director of Supernova, but you will you will know him as Thomas Lee for, you know, uh, this conversation. So let's talk about the writers. We've got William Malone, who's credited for the story, Daniel Chuba for story, and then David C. Wilson for screenplay. I thought this was interesting. So William Malone, because he's the one that originally came up with the concept. He is a director and screenwriter. So he's directed movies like Creature from 1985, which I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's like a low-budget alien ripoff. Uh, I think it was you know all over video store shelves in the 80s. Yep. House on Haunted Hill in 1999 and fear.com in 2002. So those are the movies that he's directed. I have seen fear.com more than once. Sadly. Okay. <laughs> and then uh, in terms of screenplays and, and writers, he did creature in 85 universal soldier, the return in 1999, which is terrible. And parasomnia in 2008, which I think I've seen it, but I remember nothing about it. I just remember seeing the cover art and going, yeah, I've watched that movie. I think I own it. No clue what it's about. Um, don't know much about Daniel Chuba. Uh, his filmography is pretty limited. Now, David C. Wilson is super interesting. He is the one who actually wrote the screenplay where the other two are credited for story. David C. Wilson has worked on a movie that we actually just talked about last week on our drive episode. Can you even guess what movie that is? You're not going to guess. Okay. It's the perfect weapon from 1991. It was written by him. The Jeff Speakman film. It was one of my top three picks of Oh, yeah, he okay. wrote the screenplay for that. Uh, he did Supernova in 2000, but he also was credited as story by for a film that we've talked about on this show that we both love. Do you have any clue what it could be? No. It's Usually from, I'm pretty good at this. But yeah, this is from 2015. Stuck. Does that help? No? All right. This, wait, wait, wait. 2015... This involves what we have both dubbed as a movie starring one of the greatest boxer drivers. Oh, The Man from Uncle. He did The Man from Uncle from okay. 2015. So he worked on that as well. That blew my mind. The guy who wrote the screenplay for this, and we'll talk about how the screenplay came together, but he's directed two of some great films. I mean, I love The Perfect Weapon. We talked about that last week. But he, but he also you know, did the story on The Man from Uncle, which boggles my mind. I, I just, I don't know what to okay. say about that, man. Okay. <laughs> this is getting interesting. So that's the people behind the camera. Let's talk about the people in front of the camera. It's, it's a bit of a limited cast because it's people in space, right? Confined spaces in space. We start with James Spader. What, what's your take on James Spader? You James Spader love fan? James Spader. You love James Spader? What, what about James Spader? I mean, is there a particular uh, movie, TV show, something of that nature? Uh, Stargate. I like a lot. Okay. I know, I know you think Stargate's kind of trash, but. Uh, I also like him. Uh, I mean, I think he's fine as Ultron. The voices, you know, right. he, it is what it is. Um, was it less than zero? Yes. Think, the cocaine um, movie. Yes. Um, 
True Colors, I think, is another one, I believe. I, 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 I think say. so. It, it, yeah. Yeah, amazes me. Crash. I like you mean Crash. Yeah, when you go through his filmography, when I was looking at this, I, I don't know about you, I am amazed at how many James Spader film, just movies I've seen or films I've seen. Uh, I, I remember him in 1985's Tough Turf and 1985's The New Kids and 1986 Pretty in Pink. So he's making all these films in the 80s. That's what I remember oh, it from. Mannequin, right? Mannequin in 87, Less Than Zero yeah. you talked about. Uh, Sex Lies in Videotape in 89 with his uh, Soderbergh film, Bad Influence in 90, Wolf in 94, Stargate 94, Crash 96. I'm, I'm going through this list. I'm like, oh my gosh, look at all these movies that I've seen that I totally forgot James Spader was in. And then you, you kind of move into, I would say, the, the later part of his career. You get uh, Boston Legal, a TV show he did for four years from 2004, 2008. Um, he was in The Office that series as uh, Robert California, I think uh, the blacklist, which I've never seen, but I think a lot of people like him from that from 2013 yeah. on to today. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, secretary in 2002 is a great film. James Spader's in it. Uh, there was a serial killer movie with Keanu Reeves in in 2000 called the watcher. He's in that thing too. This guy's been okay. in tons of films, man. And I am surprised at how many James Spader films I've watched. It, it kind of shocked me. I think he's okay. I think he's an okay actor, but he's not one of those that hey James Spader is in that I'm going to go watch it. I don't know. He's just, yeah, he's, he doesn't have that pull, but I'm always delighted to see him when he is in a movie. Yeah, but I would never go out of my way to see a James Spader starring film. Yep, and and so he's the hero, and then let's jump over to the villain. We've got Peter Fascinelli yes, uh, as Carl Larson. He was in the Twilight film series as Doctor Carlisle Cullen. Have you have you watched any of the Twilight movies? I have not. I, I can honestly see this is his this, last name is Colin or Cullen. Cullen. Okay, I thought you said Colin. Colin like, okay. probably would be Colin. I don't know. I think it's Colin. Here's the thing. I can sit there and kind of go, yeah, Lawrence of Arabia is on my watch list, but I can also say I've seen the first Twilight film. I never got beyond that, but I I did watch the first one. Do you know the movie I think of this guy from the most? What's that? Can't hardly wait. Can't hardly wait. See, I barely yes. remember. I was looking at his filmography and I'm like, oh, I kind of remember him from that Twilight film, which is terrible. So you're you're a little older than me, but Can't Hardly Wait was like a coming of age yeah. high school movie. It's like 1998. So I was right at that age. And he plays the jock villain type. I, I can see it. He's done a ton of film and TV shows that quite honestly I've never heard of. He's, he's a pretty prolific actor, but if you look at his filmography, it's like, nope, haven't seen any of this stuff. But I'm sure this is the kind of crap that's just floating around on Netflix or Amazon Prime or something that everybody has full access yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, he wor he's worked a he's, lot. And since, he's still working. So Yeah. Uh, so that's our, back, that's our big meanie, right, bad guy? Uh, Angela Bassett as Dr. Kayla Evers. I love Angela Bassett. I think... How could you not? She is an amazing actress. I... Also, totally forgot she was in Critters 4 from 1992. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Angela Bassett would love that you remember her from Critters 4. Well, the, um, the movie I always remember her from is Strange Days in 95. That's when I feel like I discovered Angela Bassett. Uh, but she did Vampire in Brooklyn in 95. Mine Wait, was Boys in the Hood. Boys in the Hood, okay. Yeah. Waiting to Exhale in 95, Contact in 97, How Stella Got Her Groove Back 98, Music of the Heart 99. So she's doing all these films, which are, I mean, varying degrees of quality, obviously. But then lands Supernova in 2000, follows that up with The Score in 2001, which is actually a really good film with Marlon Brando. 
Yeah, pretty fun. You've also got Robin Tooney as Danica Lund. I only remember her from The Craft, but when you look at his, her filmography leading up to this, she did Empire Records in 95, The Craft in 96, End of Days in 99 with, with Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. Supernova, and then follows it up um, that same year with an action film, Vertical Limit, which actually is pretty fun. If you've it never is a seen fun, that. yeah, that's a fun movie, mountain yep. movie, right? Yep, yep. We get Lou Diamond, La Bamba Phillips as Year Z in this. Hey, it, I think our friends over at the VHS Files podcast did a La Bamba episode, right? That, that was they a, did. It was very good. Yeah, and was, I remember La Bamba because it was on HBO every day, every two hours when I was nine and ten, and my mom loved La Bamba. Well, it so. was you know, I'll, I'll say this: my favorite Lou Diamond Phillips film is stand and deliver from 88 which was i just remember it as the the math teacher film but it's so good with um oh god i had a really good uh edward james almost was in it okay yeah i remember him from young guns young guns young guns too um around this time supernova came out uh he did the big hit with um marky mark in 1998 which Mark Wahlberg is yeah, his name. Yeah. Mark Wahlberg, which was directed by Kirk Wong, who's a fantastic Hong Kong director. And he did Bats in 1999, which is actually kind of fun little horror film. And then after that, followed up with Supernova. And that same year, he actually had two other films come out, Picking Up the Pieces, A Better Way to Die. Uh, but, I mean, he wasn't a huge box office draw. I mean, let's face it, at that time. Even though Bats was theatrical, I don't, I don't remember it kind of making a splash, even in the horror Yeah, community. I mean... Lou Diamond is one of those actors like James Spader that when he's in it, I'm like, Oh, there's Lou Diamond Phillips. I really like him. He's always like pretty good, but again, I don't know outside of La Bamba. I don't really know of something that where he was like the guy. And I think La Bamba was literally like one of his first film credits. So it's weird that he goes from like leading a big movie to not, <laughs> Yeah, I, I've, it's not like Lobanbo is bad or, or no. Bad I've, I've always weird. liked him as yeah. I've always liked him. I mean, the big hit we talk about that one. I think that's a fun film. He's fantastic in it. He is just so out there in terms of performance as this eccentric hit man, and uh, that that film's fun. But uh, you know, you're you're absolutely right. In the '80s, he was actually in some pretty big films. But you know, obviously in the 2000s, I, I guess his star had lost a little shine. And, you know, he's doing some movies that are going to the theater, but I'm sure a lot of this is going to direct a video that leads us to Wilson Cruz as Benjamin. Again, he's, I don't know. He's to me, he's kind of like Peter. I kind of recognize his face, but when I go back and look at his filmography, it's a bunch of movies and TV shows that I know I haven't watched. And I don't, I don't, I don't recognize this guy at all. This guy, I had no idea who he was. Yep. Um, And lastly, which, (laughs) If, if God, th- what the hell, the hell are they doing? Yeah. With so this movie, you got Robert Forster as AJ Marley. Now you and I have an affection for Mr. Forster for the film, Jackie Brown in 1997. I think that's his best film. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love it. He passed in 2019. I think one of his later films that I just discovered last year during, you know, COVID time was called the Wolf of Snow Hollow. Uh, it's listed as a 2020 release, so I believe it was released after he passed away. But if you if you want to talk about how good Robert Forster is, 
just go back and look at anything he did from movies like Alligator, which is his creature feature. It's just a ton of fun. Charlie, our, our good friend Charlie, the show, raved about this film for years. And I finally tracked it down and watched it. Man, he wasn't kidding. That movie is awesome. Uh, but if, if you look at him as a, as an actor, I mean, he is an amazing actor and for him to come into supernova for like four or five minutes and what they do with them is it's probably the thing that pisses me off the most about this film, but we'll get, we'll get there in a minute. It's offensive. It's pretty offensive. Uh, that that's pretty much everybody that's in the film. I mean, anybody else that's listed on there, it's either the voice of the computer or it's some guy dressed up like a robot. Hey, Hey, have you ever seen uh, 2001 where they had the computer that had a voice? It's a movie that I'm kind of familiar with. Yeah, I've heard about this, it. Yeah, oh, yeah. This film, this film. So you're 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 saying that um, Hal is better than Sweetie, which is the <laughs> I think I think Hal might be a little little better than Sweetie. To be okay. honest with you. All right. Well, we'll we'll get there. Let's talk about the. So you you hinted at this a little bit. The development, the production, everything else. Let's talk about this before we share our thoughts on the film. Okay. <laughs> So you said that this thing was around since 1988, right? I did say that, yes. Okay. Um, I hope it was not incorrect on saying that. It could be. I saw 1990. Um, It was originally pit, but I I think you've got the same, I don't know, thought process going on. This thing's been around for a long time before it got released, right? So what I had read was William Malone, who's credited for story, had pitched this in 1990, and it was called Dead Star. That was the original script. At a much more modest budget, I believe. Something like 5 to $6 million? Yeah, that, spot yeah. on. So he envisioned it as a movie um, called Dead Calm. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It was directed by Philip Noyce, uh, Australian director in 1989. It starred Sam Neill, Nicole Kidman, Billy Zane. It's a great thriller. Yeah. So he saw yeah. that film and said, oh, I'm going to do something like that, but set it in space. And hence he creates dead star. So it's like dead calm. You got dead star. So Malone and the producer at the time asked HR Geiger to produce some conceptual sketches to help promote or sell the script. So what they do is they get this sort of science fiction thriller. They get HR Geiger to do all these illustrations. So they create sort of a a picture book version of the script and and MGM goes, oh, this is pretty cool. So we're going to buy the script and the idea, but they turn around and hire a series of writers to go ahead and start working on the script. I mean, here's here's my thought on the whole H.R. Geiger thing. Like, can you can you do a space movie with H.R. Geiger doing the conceptual stuff after Alien? I'm sure you can. I mean, if you've ever seen his his artwork, it's oh. I, that's a good, actually, now that I think about it, it's a good question because all of his artwork has that alien creature inspiration to it. I mean, even like species, like he does species, like it, it looks like alien. Yeah. 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 And, and this film is like, Oh, we're going to space. There's a distress call, uh, you know, stuff like it's just, you know, you can walk the line where it's like they were going for maybe an alien esque film with that, original sort of pitch. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's an alien film with maybe the dead calm story elements, right? Mm-hmm. So, yep. but MGM bites, they go ahead and pick it up. And then by 1997, the story had changed to be about a deep space medical ship called the Nova, which answers a distress signal and finds an aging cargo vessel about to be sucked into a black hole. So you start with something like dead calm, and then you end up with something that is like all of these other science fiction movies that we talked about, right? 
You go out into space, you're looking for something in space, and there's a big mystery about the thing that you find in space. So originally, they get Australian director Jeffrey Wright, who did Romper Stomper. That was a film that he did with Russell Crowe, and he was originally attached to direct. He leaves the project two months before principal photography is ready to go. And the reason why he leaves the project is over, quote unquote, creative differences. And I guess one of the ideas that he had was he wanted to shoot the entire film in zero gravity. And the studio's like, dude, that's really hard. And it's <laughs> we can do the same thing with special effects, everything else. So nope. So, you know, Jeffrey's like, I'm out. And he leaves and they're supposed to start filming. Keep in mind, as this is all going on, there's a writer's guild strike and, you know, Hollywood's getting in trouble with the union. So they're, you know, they're under some pressure. At to that get time this. with Jeffrey Wright as well, Vincent D'Onofrio was cast as the lead, I believe. Yes, right? absolutely. Vincent yep. D'Onofrio? Okay. So they had a different cast, everything else. So people start jo- dropping out because the director's gone. Um, Jeffrey Wright is replaced by Jack Shoulder. So Jack Shoulder. So is this our fourth director? Malone? Third. So this is our third director now. Well, Malone wasn't directing. Malone did the screenplay. Oh, yes. Sorry. sorry. Yes, this is our second director. Okay. So we go from Jeffrey Wright to Jack Shoulder. So he comes in. Um, Jack Shoulder is known for movies like A Nightmare on Elm Street, Two Freddy's Revenge, and The Hidden, which is a fantastic science fiction film. Okay. Uh, but here's the thing. MGM studio head Frank Mancuso, he didn't like Jack Shoulder. So they're butting heads um, months before this movie start to film. At this point, James Spader comes on. James Spader picks up on sort of the disagreement between Jack Shoulder and Frank Mancuso and starts campaigning for director Walter Hill because he's saying, hey, here's a guy over here that wrote and produced three alien films. You're doing an alien space thingy over here. Bring on Walter Hill. So Hill comes on board with only a few weeks to prep before shooting, right? So he's got the script, everything else. So you're a director, you're hired by the studio, you only got a couple of weeks before filming starts. Brad, what would you do? What would be the first thing that you do? Uh, I don't know, man. Like, Well, let me, let me that's an unfair question. How about this? Of the things that you could do maybe a couple of weeks before filming, would you decide to just rewrite the entire script? No, I would not do that. No, I would, I would. I would not rewrite the script if, if I, I, I had limited time. Okay. Well, that's what Walter, Walter Hill's like, Brad, you're stupid. Cause I'm going to rewrite the script. Okay. So a couple of weeks before filming, he spends most of that time rewriting the script. So then we get into shooting and production. Okay. So shooting starts in April, 1998. And then during the production, the production gets cut in half. So studio comes back and says, and, and we've talked about this MGM uh, for whatever reason, always seem to have money problems because when yes. we talked about brainstorm, we kind of went into the, you know, studio's decision to say, Hey, we want to scrap that film and collect the insurance money. So it's not surprising when you listen to all the stories about MGM for them to start a film like this, especially around this you know time period, because it seems like they're always scrambling for money and they turn around and they're say, they're almost going bankrupt all the time. They're almost always going bankrupt. And they kind of say, okay, shooting starts in April 1998, and we're going to slash the production budget. And MGM ended up having to scrap about half of the planned effect shots. So all the special effects that you need for the space movie, they go, you can only have half of them. And 
it really caused a big problem with this. And I'll give you an example. So within the original script, there was a cutting edge robot that was supposed to be integral to the entire plot to the film. There is a robot in this film. There is a robot in this film because they still needed it for like the big climax. But since they didn't have the special effects to uh, display this cutting edge robot, they basically took an actor and dressed him as an an android with a bomber's jacket and a flight cap and had him act like a robot. And that's your that's your robot special effect. That's the type of movie we're going to talk about here, folks. It's straight up like uh, like lost in space. No, like I lost in space at least. But just like you could say, like that's a guy in a suit. What? Like Robbie the robot is a million light years more intricate. I mean, just think about that robot with the monkey suit and the robot helmet. You remember from the one, the old fifties or sixties cheesy science fiction film? Yeah. I believe that thing more than the robot in this because at least he was wearing a monkey suit with a, a silver robot head. This is a guy in, I don't know, silver spandex pretty much making robot moves. Yeah. He's the Tim man. So that that's an example of the type of special effects that ended up in this film. So the photography, the, the filming and everything sort of gets completed July of 1998. Walter Hill spends 24 weeks editing his director's cut of the film which still did not have all the special effects done. So even this, does that sound like a long time to you? 24 weeks to edit a film that didn't have special effects. Yes. Yes, it it does. But that's the story, right? According to the internet and everybody else. So Walter Hill's working on this thing. Special effects aren't done. If, if not really delivered. And there's, there's a whole history behind that too, where the studio thought they were going to get special effects cheaper because they were going to use um, an effects house that was sort of ingrained within the MGM studio that didn't pan out. So they said, well, we can't get these effects at a discount. So therefore we've got to cut the budget. So that's kind of what happens. But MGM says, you know what? We're going to screen this film to an audience. And Walter Hill says, hold on a second. You screen this thing now. It's not done. It's going to be a total disaster because we don't have any special effects in this thing. And in fact, I actually need to go and shoot some more footage and it's going to cost you about one and a half million dollars. Walter Hill tells him that studio says, nope, we're going to show this thing and we're going to see what we have. And guess what? Screenings, a total disaster. Uh, In fact, the audience hated the film and MGM and Walter Hill get in a big fight and Walter Hill says, you know what? I'm going to quit this project. So he's off. So what does MGM do? They go back to Jack Shoulder. <laughs> so he was the second director at the time. Um, Jack Shoulder comes in. They do do some reshoots, and he tries to save the film. And then they put a cut together with Jack Shoulder's new footage, plus the stuff that Walter Hill shot. And they do a test screening, and it gets a little bit better reaction from the audience. So it's better, right? But <laughs> new executives come in to the studio. So there's, there's a change of leadership, always new executives, right? So they look at Jack shoulders cut and they look at the test screening results and they're super unhappy. They're like, this is not acceptable. So they go back to Walter Hill and they go, Hey, we're sorry. The old executives are dumb. We're the new executives. We like your vision, which is supposed to be darker and creepier and everything else. And Walter Hill says, cool, glad you, you know, gained your senses. 
I'll come back to work on the film, but we got to do more reshoots. And now the reshoots are going to cost you $5 million and I need some more time for filming. I love that. Yeah. Initially he wanted $1.5 million leaves a project. They come begging for him to come back. Now he's like, now it's going to cost you $5 million. <laughs> that is brilliant. Right? So the new executives, I, I mean, they're wise to this whole thing. They're like, look, we fired the dummies. We're not dummies. So no way you're not getting $5 million. We got this guy on the board. Yeah. So they refuse. And Walter Hill really, really, really quits this time. He says, don't, I'm not taking your phone calls anymore. Right? So in August of 99, MGM brings in board member Francis Ford Coppola. So Francis Ford Coppola of Godfather fame, right? Comes in and they ask him to do a re-edit of the film. This ends up costing him about a million dollars to do the re-edit through Coppola's studio. Now he wanted to do digital blackface, Troy. Oh, digital. He, he did do he digital. Did. He did. Yeah. So what you're talking about is some of the things that this million dollars went to is the work included digitally placing Angela Bassett and James Spader's faces on the bodies of a computer tinted Tooney and Fascinelli so that their characters could enjoy computer a love scene. Tinted. Computer yes. tinted. Computer tinted. That is a nice way of. Mm, yeah. 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 So they, so they took this unused sex scene and basically said, we're going to computer tint this person to make it look computer like Angela tint. Bassett and stick that. That is the director of the Godfather who did that. Apocalypse now. <laughs> Apocalypse now did that. There you go. So, uh, Coppola's cut receives extremely negative test screenings. Cause everybody's like this, this is a piece of crap. MGM finally throws up its hands and it says in October of that year, 1999, they decide to sell the film. Somebody picks it up and it gets released in January 17th of 2000. That's how this thing went from concept and idea back in 1988, 1990 from William Malone goes through all these different directors to Francis Ford Coppola computer using black a computer to blackface somebody for a sex scene. That's yep. supernova. And then we have to talk about this. They release a trailer. Yes. Can we talk about, let's can, go ahead and describe the trailer, Brad. I'm, I'm super curious about your thoughts. It's on got this sugar Ray's fly in it. It starts with that. Yes. And mama told me not to come by three dog night. Well, before that, so there's three songs yeah. in this, right? So yeah. it starts with Fly by Sugar Ray. Then it enters in some Matrix techno music. Yes. And then it ends on Mama Told Me Not to Come by Three Dog Night. We talked about what trailer was really bad that we talked about. And then we were like, how do you do this as a trailer? Ah, what was it? I don't know. I don't, but whatever it was. It was better a, than this one. We have a new number one worst yes. trailer of all time. Yes. Do you remember the tagline that they kind of put in this trailer? I, I don't. Okay. The tagline as they're doing the three dog night song is if you can't stand the heat, get out of the universe. Yeah. That's, that's the tagline. Whoa. Yeah. I, I mean, if you watch this trailer, it describes the movie as an action comedy film with sex jokes. That that's really what the trailer is. There is none of that in this film. There's yeah, a, but the trailer says it's an action yes. comedy with sex jokes. 
So we've talked about tons of bombs and I feel like there's an equation here, Brad, when you get director changes, um, anytime new studio executives come in, studio executive changes, if you get negative test screenings and the studio freaks out about that, if you get different endings filmed. So there are four different endings that were filmed. Yeah, if for you don't know one. how to film, if you don't know how your film is going to end, yep, that's, that's a, a problem. And then you get horrible marketing when, when, I mean, most movies kind of have one of those things happen. I can't think of a can't film. Can't forget about digital blackface. Yes. I, <laughs> I can't think, I can't remember a film that we've talked about. I mean, most of the time, one of these things come up, but I can't remember a film that had all of these things come up in, in the, you know, production. Remember when Josh was on for Highlander and he was like, you know, we, we were talking about Highlander didn't have any production issues and it just came out. And yeah. he's like, sometimes I feel like your, your picture needs some production issues just to kind of work through some things. And sometimes conflict helps create better ideas. Uh, this is an example that that is a bold faced lie. Yes, absolutely. Not yes. this, th- not this type of headache. This is crazy. No. Yes. Yes. This is to the extreme for sure. It, it is. And the other thing that I, when I was reading uh, everything about this film, this phrase kept showing up it, and it showed up in event horizon quite a bit too, but it really showed up in this one. You, you hear this term Hellraiser in space. So you like the first Hellraiser, right? Yeah, it's fine. Okay. Yeah. So it, it's an interesting concept. It's, you know, somebody is tampering with something they shouldn't and all of a sudden demons from another dimension or hell come up and, you know, go after everybody. Yeah, evil, it's like evil dead too. If you've seen, you know, like, yeah, I, I just, I find it interesting that in 2000 or even back in 1998 or 1990, they're, they're trying to do Hellraiser in space. Hellraiser came out in 1987 and that movie has a ton of sequels, right? Yeah. So by 1996, a couple of years, even before uh, the Hellraiser in space concept was being kicked around by a few movies. They had already done Hellraiser in space with Hellraiser for Bloodlines. That's yeah, when Bloodlines. It's a that's a Alan Smithy film. Yep, that's that's an Alan Smithy film done in uh, 1996. And I think it's funny that event. It's actually Her- Hellraiser in space, isn't it? It's Hellraiser in space, and then Event Horizon's like, well, we're going to do Hellraiser in space. That comes out in '97, and then the Supernova comes out in 2000, and and it's Hellraiser in space and. Look, we we had Hellraiser in space in 1996, and it's not very good. I I don't think we should try and make Hellraiser in space anymore. No. Yeah. What there is, the final product has zero connection to Hellraiser. There's no nothing, zero, with Hellraiser. Like where you can say, oh, that's kind of Hellraiser isque. There's a. Well, it's it's supposed to. If you if again you go back and. And look at all of the material and everything else. The the main villain, uh, Carl, was supposed to turn into some big, grotesque, demon-like monster. But the studio yeah. was like, oh, you can't see his face with all that makeup on. Yeah, How about you just guy. give him electric knuckles and maybe some eyeliner or something? I mean, that's what the special effects went down to. Wow. What, what a history of filmmaking that what could go wrong what could go wrong so brad uh let's start with you this was this was your pick we are my pick we are talking about another space film where people go out in space and they're trying to find something and they run across a lunatic and then you know all chaos ensues so what are your thoughts on supernova 2000 
I will say um, the benefits of seeing this film is it is completely forgettable the moment you turn it off. I was telling you that I, I had to go back and watch the beginning and kind of like just have it on in the background and kind of rejar my memory about what is going on in this movie. You know, the captain has four lines and then he is dead. And you're like, I, I don't know any of these people. How is this supposed to make me like when a character dies on screen, you're supposed to have a connection and it's supposed to have weight. Well, you're supposed you, to. Yes. Yeah. If yep. you kill a character in the first five minutes of a film, you have no sort of history with the character to feel any sort of pain at all. And yes, the crew like seems like they're upset, but even they aren't really that upset. They're like, ah, the old guy died, whatever. Um, <laughs> and another thing, if you would have told me that this was a direct to sci-fi channel original, I would say, I totally believe it. This looks like it premiered Friday night at eight o'clock on the sci-fi network. Yep. Agreed. There is nothing about this film that has any sort of, that, that shows major motion picture. We spent $90 million. It looks like they spent half a million and that is even stretching it. And for some reason, Angela Bassett and James Spader and Lou Diamond Phillips owed a favor to someone. So they had to be in this film uh, or, I don't know. They weren't going to get their benefits that year or something. I don't know. I had to pay a mortgage payment. Uh, yeah. Can we, can we go and, back? And Spader, and Spader yeah. has, like, when he did Stargate, he was like, hey, I needed a new house. So I did. You know, he will be the first to admit he does things for money. Yeah. I mean, I hope he was paid well for this. Um, I don't think Spader is terrible in this movie. And I don't think Angela Bassett is that bad. They have zero chemistry. They have zero chemistry. Well, um, I, Ooh, I don't know. So I want to go back to the beginning because <laughs> you, you jump right to Robert Forrester's death, which is very early on. Uh, so here's how the movie starts. You got Benjamin who is in an intimate relationship with the ship's computer, sweetie. He gets woken up cause she wants to play chess. Right. Yep. And she's, telling him, Hey, you can play with me whenever you want to. So it's a little preview of the double entendres that you're going to get throughout this film. Right. So that that's in the first couple of minutes. Yeah. And the sex theme is throughout this film. Oh we yeah. Well that, to, that yeah. leads to the yeah. next one where you got yeah. Lou diamond Phillips and Robin Tooney having a, like a sex addiction problem. Cause they're just banging each other in the it quarters. Is like, okay. The cut I saw was the PG 13 cut. No, uh, really? I believe it was. Uh, I have hey, to look. Well, I well, we'll get, I have a comment about this. So you you've got that going on, and then you cut to two guys are bored playing ping pong on the world's smallest ping pong table. Dude, I said that my nose is the same thing. That is the smallest <laughs> ping pong table I've ever seen in my entire life. I'm like, okay, and then you cut to Robert Forster, who's watching Tom and Jerry cartoons and creating some university paper on what was the meaning of Tom and Jerry cartoons, right? So he's, yeah, so he's trying to get. That's his thesis for his doctorate, right? Yeah, who? I, I guess I don't know. I, I, who? Maybe. Okay, but he's he's clearly talking into the computer, trying to sound artsy farty. He's so about, pontificating in yes. his kind of oh gross. lord, You're yes, just like, Okay. Then you cut to James Spader just floating in space, right? 
And then you cut to Angela Bassett doing a physical on James Spader, and they're having a contest on who can be the biggest dick because they're just they're just being assholes. Um, and then you get the galaxy's worst robot. So that's the guy we're talking about in a suit trying to be a robot. And that's like the first 10 minutes. So automatically you're like, oh my God, this is going to be the longest 90 minutes of my life, right? They establish a lot of characters with no characteristics except for, uh, you know, Robin Tooney just likes to have sex. That's the only thing we know about her. Um, you know, and, and James Spader and Angela Bassett like to be dicks. Yeah. And Robert Forster likes Tom and Jerry cartoons. Um, and some dude is sticking Which his I thing in some like, computer socket somewhere because she's always waking him up wanting to play chess. I, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry when this happens in films, but I believe that supernova takes place in like some distant future. Like, <laughs> I don't think that we're still talking about Tom and Jerry 200 years from now. We barely talk about, we barely talk about Tom and Jerry in 2021. Well, I can tell you this in the first 15 minutes, I can't decide who I dislike more. I'll say this. Benjamin is kind of winning because I think he's the worst actor out of the entire group. So just on that alone, it's getting on my nerves, but this film within the first 30 minutes, I feel like it's, two steamy sex scenes away from being a late night Cinemax film. This thing has so much butt and boobs in it and talk about sex. It's crazy. I mean, they really like showing Robin's breasts a lot and she's just there as a sex object. Right. And then even when they discover the cosmic bomb that is, you know, at the, the, yeah, the center of this thing, giant vagina. Well, yeah, she's talking, she's making a sex joke about it. Right. And then how many butt shots can you get in one film? This probably has the world record for that. And, and the other thing I can't just, why does everybody want to have sex in zero gravity? I, I don't understand that concept either. I, I think it adds a level of complexity That's to like the like entire the same, thing. The same thing. Like when people want to have sex on an airplane, you, yeah, but at, at least in an airplane, I mean, what you'll be bouncing around in zero gravity. How do you get it anyways? But this film is I, I don't know. It, it feels like a hard ticket to Hawaii without the sex scenes or, you know, any of those Andy was, what was that director? Andy said, or, uh, who did oh, Malibu express and all those things yeah. that showed up on Cinemax. What's I mean, his name? yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. This is just one of those without any of the goofiness, any of the fun. I, oh. no, this movie is no, like there is zero fun in this movie at all. It is, super serious, but like it's like for no apparent reason, like there's no fun in this. Those guys that are playing on the world's smallest ping pong table. It's like they are incapable of having fun. They're just kind of hitting it back and forth. I'm like, yeah, that's about right. Like this is like the most least fun thing you can do. And that's how I feel watching this film is how they're playing ping pong. Yeah. But it just amazes me how a film with zero fun that has all this, sex in it. Uh, and then you, especially if you watch that trailer and then walk into this, you're like, what happened? (laughs) Like, um, yeah, yeah. But with space movies, it's all about the technology. So I have to ask you for a movie that takes place in space with all the space things going on. Um, what, what did you think about the technology in supernova? Um, you know, they never really explain how their light 
speed thing works. Like it shoots a like a plasma ray. I guess it's like cutting the universe, like folding it like in half, maybe. Like yeah, like I'm, in, I'm glad you started there. That was the first thing. Um, at it, so every one of these films has to have some technology or hyperdrive space jump sequence where you've got to cover a bunch of long distance, right? Sunshine addresses it, Event Horizon did it, all this other stuff. So at the beginning of the film, they call it a plasma acceleration. That's the terminology, right? And at the end of the film, they call it dimension jump. So even the script, somebody didn't. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah. It doesn't line up, but. They didn't control F very well to like get all to change it universally. (laughs) the, The rewrites obviously are showing even within the dialogue. But why in plasma acceleration, so the first jump they do, right? Why in plasma acceleration do you see bits of the movie that haven't happened yet? Yeah, I, I have no idea. There's like shots of sperm and you're like, what, what? Okay. Yeah, and you, uh, and you and don't see that when they're jumping back under dim, the dimension jump. You don't you And don't there's see things that the happen, I believe, in those little like cuts that never actually happen in the film. You, you could be right. I, I know that was one of the things that they talked about in the trailer. You will see shots in the trailer that are never in the film because they were a part of, you know, the first or second cut that just yeah. never made it. Okay. Um, and then the dimension jump after that occurs, you get this whole, uh, because they shared a pod together, James Spader, Angela Bassett, they swapped That's at DNA. The very end. Yeah. It's at the yeah. very end. So they, they share eye color DNA stuff but you find out she's pregnant, right? That's a big reveal. Um, and the question I have is, okay, they swapped eyeballs and DNA and stuff like that. Well, why aren't they sharing pieces of the unborn baby between them? Or why isn't James Spader pregnant? I mean, shouldn't something like that have happened if they're sharing all this stuff when they go through the dimension jump? I mean, maybe he doesn't try. I hate to tell you, but men don't have the parts to to bear children. He could have got the parts from Angela Bat or half the parts. I thought they I said they only did like 1.5% of their shared DNA or something like that. I don't know. There there's a percentage that the robot or the computer says. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. It regardless, zero it doesn't sense. make any sense. No sense. I'm with you. What about spaceship? You talked about that. The spaceship is like you know, it's got the obligatory here's our spaceship. The camera's going to stay in one spot. Spaceship's going to fly past you're going to see how big it is. This one's not really that impressive. No, it's um, it's got the rotating part, I guess, for the gravity yeah. thing, and and then it's like okay. Um, I thought it looked like air duct pieces from Lowe's or Home Depot that were duct taped together. It's it, very sort of uh, let's put a bunch of parts that we can spray paint silver and see what we can come up with, and that'll be our spaceship. Yeah, the um, the Roger Corman films like Battle Beyond the Stars and stuff like that from the seventies and eighties look way more realistic and cooler. Those models looked <laughs> this thing. I literally, it looks like from a budget standpoint, they went uh, to Lowe's or home Depot and said, we'll grab all these silver shiny air duct pieces and grab that silver, um, you know, duct tape and, and let's put it all together. That's exactly what it looks like. Yeah. And in the front of it is really looks really bad. It's like a weird, I don't know. It looks kind of duck like, like it has a bill. It's weird. It's just, it's not, a, <laughs> it's it's not, not now that you say that it does. Yeah. It, it looks um, like a air duct duck. Yeah. It, and it's, it's kind of phallic in a way too. Not like Jeff Bezos's spaceship, but it's a little phallic in a way. I guess all spaceships are kind of phallic. Really. If you think about it, it's just one long tube. So well, yeah. 
well, see, I don't get the, if I agree with the duck thing, but I don't know how ducks are phallic, but I might be missing something. Well, I, okay. Well, I agree. It's horrible design. Okay. So the cosmic bomb, what, what did you think of this cosmic bomb reasoning technology? However they explain it. I mean, it looks like a big, it's, it's a big giant vagina. <laughs> it's, it is. It's a glowing big, big giant vagina. And yeah. like you put your fingers inside of it and it changes your DNA. It yeah. makes its moaning sounds and you're like, uh, um, okay. And it has the, the ability to create and destroy life. Okay. Yeah. Big giant vagina. Um, I, I thought it was interesting that this, they explain this as a cosmic this bomb. Film? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, it's a cosmic bomb that is apparently buried or hidden or something of that nature. It's super powerful, right? It, it can, you know, create yeah, life, dimension. destroy ninth dimension element. Yep. Yeah. So you, you as James Bader got to save the day, what do you decide to do? You decide to strap a bomb onto the cosmic bomb and give it to the guy that's dressed like a robot to go up into the floaty place where everybody's been having sex in the zero gravity and decide to blow that up and inside your ship inside your ship. And the only thing that happens is that part of the ship blows up and then the cosmic bomb floats out into the black hole. Well, the big, it's a big, blue planet right like it's a they say it's a star that's 10 times the size of our sun yeah but it so isn't think it, about isn't it condensing or something because they only yeah, have so like many that. hours to get out of there but they have an 11 minute window to i do thought the, that was like oh it's gonna like come around this thing and like i don't just think about when we watch sunshine yeah how bright they made that sun feel mm-hmm. now imagine okay it's blue so it's still going to be bright, yep. but it's 10 times the size. Okay. Like they could not be anywhere near that a because the gravitational force would be way too strong and B it would be so bright and so hot <laughs> that it would destroy the ship. If it got anywhere close, right. like, I don't understand any of that. And they just act like, Oh, we have this, 11 minute window to like get out. I'm like, you know, space doesn't really have minutes and seconds. Like it's measured in like millions of years and things like that. Like it, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. So here, here's the description of it, right? So Titan 37, which is the moon, right? Orbits a blue giant. So a, a blue giant is like a, a supernova star. Is that, yeah. did I get that right? Yeah, so, okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, and it's high gravity field will pull the ship to the point where it'll be incinerated in 17 hours and 12 minutes, which happens to be almost the same amount of time that the Nightingale 229, which is their spaceship, will need to recharge its jump drive, their only possible hope for escape, with only an 11-minute window for escape. So that's the premise on top of discovering the bad guy in, in his big Chloe vagina thing. That 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 part of the story gets put to the back burner pretty quickly. Yeah. You, you, you hear about it at the beginning when they're going to crash into the planet and then here's the and then setup. They're like, Oh yeah, we have, we only have 11 minutes. 20 minutes to yeah. We got to get out of here. Yeah. Uh, and, and then once, so wait, wait, what? wait, yeah. Wait. What? So the blue supernova at some point in time, the gravity is just going to start up again or something and then pull them in. Like, 
I, that's not how gravity works. It's either no, no, no. There it's, or it's, it's, not. it's on pause while the it, so the gravity's like, look, I'll give you 17 hours or whatever, but then you got an 11 minute window, and then I'm gonna suck you guys. Up. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> so okay, yeah. So the the blue or the cosmic thing goes into the supernova, and it gets swallowed up, and it explodes. But they do their particle acceleration dimension jump thing. And the movie ends with this whole, hey, in about 50-something years, the supernova 51? 51, yep, years is yeah. going to reach Earth, and it's either going to destroy it totally, or it's going to enable humankind to achieve a new level of existence. So this is what the computer has computed. It said, hey, I took in all the calculations and factors, and it's either total annihilation, or the Earth is going to start producing like these awesome people. And, and in my head, I'm like, dude, that is a wide margin of error. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I didn't have I to do like all the calculations to come more, up with that one. Yeah, yes. Um, so they're going to be really good or really bad. Okay, is there no middle ground? Like, can we I, no. not figure your margin of error is plus or minus five trillion to whatever. Yes. Uh, wow. Yeah, that's that's the that's the science and technology you're dealing with in this film. Well, we didn't even. We didn't even touch on the fact that there is a character that they, so there's a distress signal yeah, coming from a planet. Yep. A mining moon. Yes. Mm-hmm. For one person. Well, yeah. Cause it, it's so not going to travel like 3,400 light years away to pick up one person. Well, because it wasn't just a, any old distress yeah, it was signal. Crazy Carl. It was crazy. Carl calling out for somebody on that ship. Yeah. Which, Ooh, mystery. Yes. And the tension that this does not create is, uh, oh my God, there's zero. Like, were you ever even one iota worth of tension that you felt in this film? There was a point where I had to pause and go to the bathroom because I drank too much Coke Zero. <laughs> you thought so you might be yourself. <laughs> there was a little tension on, you know, that part of my body, but it had nothing to do with this film. It was because I, I drank too much pop that day. Yeah. What's the, like the inverse of tension? This is what boredom? this is. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, am I too? Am, I could have missed this, and heaven forbid that I did. But Carl, because he was with the the vagina thing, he de-aged correctly. Correct. So he was actually he, the old Carl, but now he's young Carl with new bones. With new bones, and, so he's got and shiny healing factor like Wolverine. He's like Wolverine. He is, but I, what's weird is at a specific point in the film, he doesn't just de-age. All of a sudden, he gets this weird look to him. So yeah, he turns he, into like a little bit of a monster, like kind of Satan-esque a little bit. But I don't like, know what he turns into. He just, all of a sudden, you get, I, it's the weirdest thing. It's like, here's some prosthetics and some eyeliner to accentuate your face and maybe some different teeth, and then your knuckles like um, are starting to glow. But Purple purple right? and, yeah. and that's it. And if you cut his arm off, it'll just reattach or, um, you know, he, here's the other thing. If, if you, if you shoot him in the head, that doesn't do anything. But apparently if you poke him with something, then he's in an amount of pain, like with a spear or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, like the harpoon thing really puts him out for a while, but cut off his arm. He felt seemed like that one was not as bad. Yeah. Shoot him in the head. No big deal, but stick him with the harpoon. And that almost killed him. It looked like, 
you talked about the performance. So I want to challenge you on this thing. You you said <laughs> okay. James Spader and Angela Bassett are, are pretty good from a performance standpoint. Maybe that's just me. You trying need to, like- to justify that statement, sir. I want facts. Why would you think that? I don't know because I kind of like Angela Bassett and I, and I like James Spader. Yeah, I, and I, I do too. Something but to, I was looking for something in this film. You're telling me uh, that they're good in this film, and I I want you to support. I mean, that maybe statement. they're not. Maybe they're not. They're probably not good in this film. To be honest with you, they're terrible. Everybody's terrible in this film. I mean, everybody delivers their lines in a soft, monotone voice. They're not as bad as Lou Diamond. Lou Diamond Phillips is atrocious in this movie. Well, that Benjamin guy is more atrocious, sir, than Lou Diamond yeah. Phillips. I mean, if yeah. we had to rank in terms of like the worst to the the antagonist, to the worst, worst. <laughs> yeah, he's. I, I I will say this: Angela Bassett is probably sitting at the top, but she's still terrible. Then underneath that is James Spader, and then underneath that is probably Robert Forrester and then everybody else. I mean, everybody else is just, is just terrible, but it's that they, every line is delivered in a soft monotone voice with zero emotion. Uh, and, and it's very whispered. You don't like one person in this film. I, did you like anybody in this film? Oh no, no. Yeah. Not at all. Everybody. <sighs> I mean, I felt bad for Robin Tooney was because I was like, Oh, she was just a sex object. And then she died. Yeah. But she was but still annoying. In this thing. Yeah. And it, like they have that weird sort of B plot with her and Lou Diamond Phillips about having a kid. And like, you could tell that was like shoehorned in another something. Movie. Yeah. You know, that was another idea that, you know, was, was supposed to be big or something again, like this life sort of, you know, everything on this movie is sort of like giving new life or like creation of life. And wow, you know, you're at the end. Angela Bassett is like, Oh, I'm pregnant. Um, you know, the, the thing that they find is a big giant vagina, you know, and, but it, that the, didn't uh, make her pregnant. It was the nookie that they did in the yeah, it was, you know, zero gravity that got him pregnant. And, and it was weird. Like the spaceship Which, does that, does it work that quick in the future? Like that was maybe a day between their well, nookie exchange and all of a sudden they're pregnant. You would know that fast. The, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, and not to get too sort of profane, but like the spaceship shoots out this white beam. Oh my god! Go, like, <laughs> I mean, it's it's there, man. Like, I, I know. Okay, wow, you're gonna have to slap one of those. Don't listen to this at work episode. Yeah, things on there. Okay, uh, you know the other thing that I hated from performance uh, was the computer. Absolutely. Oh god. Ter- so this movie, they rely on the computer to tell you what's going on, not the performances, right? The yeah, problem is every two minutes, the computer sweetie. is telling you what's going on in the movie, sweetie. And every where's, two minutes, it's like, patient? yeah, where's the patient? Uh, shouldn't we be doing this? Oh, shouldn't you be going to do this? I, every like two or three minutes, the computer chimes in to tell you, the viewer, what should be going on or happening. And then everybody just delivers this. They're like this, and we're going to go to the moon. And um, yeah, do you want some pear brandy? Great. Do you want to go up to the zero gravity thing? Do a little thing. Yep, cool. And then I'm a, I, that's that's the whole, that's how every line is delivered. And then the computer's in the background telling you what's going on. Expositoring away, like, oh, here's what's going on in the film. Yeah. It, whew, it's terrible. Absolutely it is terrible. Not a good, it is not a good movie. Um, I, for a 90-minute movie, this thing felt really 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 long and it's extremely boring and the fact that like after like when the guy dies the captain dies i'm like 
I don't know if I want to continue to watch this movie anymore. Like, cause I, I can kind of <laughs> see the writing on the wall. Like, Oh, this is going to be really bad. Well, um, cause yeah, they haven't established any sort of plot really. And you're like, where is this movie going? And if you would have told me at the very end that Angela Bassett was going to have a space baby, I'd be like, what happened? Well, it, it happens right after Robert Forrester dies. I mean, James Spader comes along with a, brandy with a pear in it and they have this well how did the pear get into the brandy and she's like oh well this is how they did it and all of a sudden you know they're they're going up into the zero gravity for they're seeing a brown chicken in a brown cow (laughs) that yeah yeah so uh yeah that that was that was just that was terrible i mean they both get drunk on pear brandy do their their space nookie thing and that's supposed to be your emotional connection between two characters. It's terrible. It's terrible. Like I said, if you'd thrown a little bit more nudity and maybe had, you know, somebody from Malibu express or one of those films from the late night Cinemax, yeah, this could in, be like space bimbos from outer space. It could be a trauma <laughs> film or something yeah. would have made it more interesting. Uh, but yeah, I'm just, I'm, I am simply amazed at how terrible this is given the pedigree behind you know, the camera and in front of the camera. Yeah. I I mean, say what you will about like streets of fire, whether or not I like it or not, it's a complete movie with a beginning, middle and end with a plot that you can follow and pieces of, of scenes and, and of characters that you're like, Oh, I, I enjoyed that. Like that. That's a cool thing there. That guy almost got blown up. That's pretty cool. And this film, again, as soon as it was done, I was like, I don't remember anything about that movie. And I just got done watching it. I agree. And with, with any kind of science fiction film, I don't care how terrible it is. I can usually find some concept or idea or piece of technology in the background or anything that I go, well, at least that was kind of cool. Like I haven't seen that before. Cause with science fiction, you can come up with anything, right? So it, it, the whole idea of it is take your science and take it to the you know tenth level, and what will things be like in the year twenty two hundred or you know five thousand years from now? Heck, you can come up with anything, right? There, there's just no boundaries. With this film, this is just the most. I, I feel like a bunch of accountants who have never even seen Star Wars sat down and said, "Hey, wait, hey, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah." No, you. Be um, nice. I, but you've seen Star Wars, so that makes you a cool accountant. Okay. But if if a bunch of accountants like true nerds. Uh, not the cool nerds, but the true accounting nerds who just like numbers and nothing else. If if somebody said, here's $90 million and make a science fiction film, this is the type of a science fiction film that accountants with no social life who never saw Star Wars would make, I think. Oh, I got an idea. Let's have a spaceship ambulance that tries to rescue one guy. Yeah. And he's got something that, I don't know, could destroy or make the world better. We don't know. Anyway. Terrible. It's terrible. <sighs> I don't. I don't know what else to say outside of like slap a big warning label on this thing, and and it and it boggles my mind that this thing has sold out. I, like this should be sitting in the Walmart bin for six bucks, like forty thousand copies of them with yeah. nobody ever yep. touching it. Right? It's that that story of uh, uh, Atari's ET. Like yes. they had to go bury it because they made too many. Uh, this is this should be that. This is. I will say that Southland Tales, for what it is, is way more entertaining than this film ever thought it could be. 
Oh, amen. Solar ba- solar babies, you could we could have a conversation about solar babies right now and it, at least we would have some things that are nice to say about it <laughs> or there's like there again, there's a beginning, middle, end, there's like things that happen, the plot moves along. Um it's not going to put you to sleep. I mean, maybe it will, but nothing like that. This is this is the worst movie we have watched. Uh, so I, I wrote this note. Solar Babies was more entertaining than, than this thing because yes, I agree with you 100%. 100%. And 100%. I also wrote this down. So I now, granted, I had saw this like a year ago and didn't have this reaction to it. But I remember watching it going, well, that, that was pretty much nothing and just moved on. But watching Event Horizon, what was it, back October, and then this year doing Sunshine, then coming back to this one, I I was just furious. I'm like, oh my God, this is terrible. But I'll say this, I gained way, way more appreciation for Event Horizon after watching this piece of junk. Absolutely. Um, I I just can't believe I'm sitting here thinking like, I can't believe I've watched this movie more than once in my life. I'm I'm really kicking myself over that. I I feel like a poor human being now because I've watched this more than once. Poor investment of time. Yeah, I, I, I could have used the extra time to like save a kitten or fed a hungry person on the street. Um, Could have volunteered your time to the homeless. I know. I, I'm. It, if anything, this movie makes me question, like, what the hell am I doing uh, with my life right now? Because I've seen this thing more than once. So, I mean, you're not. When you say Event Horizon is, it is a masterpiece compared to this movie. Oh hell yeah! It is the Citizen Kane of going out into space and finding something all scary, et cetera. I mean, th- this thing even, isn't even close. I mean, Sunshine is like leaps and bounds better than this movie. This thing is in a league of its own. Plan 9 from Outer Space has more dramatic tension and more interesting characters than this thing has at any point. Any point. Absolutely. The ineptitude of this movie is is to a point where it's, it's hard to describe. When we say like nothing happens in this movie, literally nothing happens in this movie where it feels like any sort of weight or consequence or I, 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 I honestly, like you were to tell me if we lined up 10 people, one person would like this movie. I'd say, no, you're insane. There's no way this is a 10% film. Nope. Like, not at all. This is a 0% film. I've seen films that are, that are like rated less than that, that, What's that Lucy Liu, uh, Antonio Banderas film? Oh, X versus Sever, which I just yeah, watched. Much better, much better oh, yeah. film than this. Yeah, I, I would watch that. I would watch that ten times over before. And that's like a zero. Like, that's considered one of the worst movies of all time. Is a hundred times better than this. Way more entertaining. Stuff happens. Uh, the Ray Park. Like, Ray Park does his flippy flips, which is yep. ten times more cooler than any of the science fiction in this thing. Absolutely, like in. in like 90 minutes will never feel so long to you. I, and, and I love science fiction. I will give science fiction the biggest pass because I enjoy it. Like you said, like even if I can pull something out of it and say, Hey, that was cool. Uh, that gadget they use was cool. Uh, here you're thinking, Oh, it's going to be the ninth dimensional thing. Nope. Oh, it's going to be the gravity or the, the plasma thing. No, that this kind of stupid. There's, the robot yeah. obviously is not good. Like there's nothing not in this one interesting good. visual in this at all, at all. Terrible. <laughs> I, you know what? And I am going to proudly own this thing just so that I can tell my children, it's going to be that one Blu-ray that sits on the shelf and I'm, I'm going to point it out to the kids and go, don't ever 
ever, ever watch this film, ever. And if anybody tells you, hey, let's sit down and watch Supernova. It's a Walter Hill film. Or even if you just fall in love with Walter Hill and you go, well, I'm going to be a Walter Hill completist and I'm going to watch all of his movies. Stay far away from this thing. Yeah, because you can see the writing on the wall that this thing was a mess and cobbled together. And I think if people try to, you know how people, they like a film and they will try to argue their way through it and say, no, it's actually better than you think. No, you can see that this film is literally cut and paste from all sorts of other films they wanted to do. And they did the best they could to make a complete feature film. Yeah. To just get it out the door. Yeah. You could see that because they were either going to make zero money or they were going to make $15 million. They made $15 million. It's better than nothing. So they cobbled together something in this Frankenstein esque movie um, like Frankenstein and just gathering all pieces and putting it out there and just saying, Hey, some losers who like science fiction and like sugar Ray fly will go see this movie <laughs> and three dog and, night. Yeah. Yeah. And what makes you think three dog night in a science fiction film is going to be great market. Like, I hope that guy got fired. Yeah. That, I that mean, is, that is dumb. It would be even weird. Like if you heard that in guardians of the galaxy, you're like, Oh, that's, that's kind of weird. Okay. But like, it's quirky and James Gunn can yeah. pull that off. I get that. But in this thing, no, uh-uh, no way, man. Nope. I mean, flies pretty bad too, man. Like yeah, there's well, nothing I, about this that is like uh, bleach blonde and fun. You know, <laughs> I, mean, I think flies a fun song. It like, is, but there's geez. nothing fun in this movie. Yeah. If I'll say this, if you want to see like the, most terrible trailer ever. At least go watch that. It's a couple of minutes. You can go, what the, but do not be tempted because when you look at that trailer and you go, well, this is a goofy trailer. Maybe the movie's goofy. It's not goofy. Just stay away from this thing. Big time. Do we, do we even have to ask the question on no, this it's one? It's a bomb. It's, it's a bomb. It's Jesus. A bomb. Yeah, it's stay. the biggest bomb we've done. Oh my God. It's, it's not terrible. Even close. And I feel bad because it's like, Hey, here's a podcast about movies that bombed and you should take, look, I, we probably shouldn't even release this episode or the episode should be five minutes. Like we're sorry. We messed Don't up. Watch this film. Don't watch this film. Uh, Don't we, hold it against us. yeah, we apologize. So we've been growing our audience so well the past few weeks. And then we do this. I feel like, like we're going to lose everybody. Oh, um, we're going to be left with probably the marketing dude. That's pretty proud of his choice of sugar. Three dog night. Oh my God. Um, I'm sweating. I, I'm so I invested like a lot of time too. like watch the movie. Did a lot of research. I did notes. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, Ooh, well, that's, that's not coming back anytime soon. Well, Hey, listen, Brad, we, uh, wow. Um, I feel defeated. We had a contest this week. We Let's did get have on, a contest. Look, we had a lot of people uh, actually do the contest too. I was very happy with our response. We did. So I, I wanted to talk about some of the recommendations that came through. So the whole idea was, and we'll probably do this actually a little bit more often because my, my favorite thing about films is introducing movies to friends, family, everything else that they may not have come across. Some films, some films. So not this one, so not supernova, but this film that we were trying to give away. So what happened was I saw this trailer, uh, at one point called the paper tigers and Wellgo USA was releasing it on a limited theatrical. Didn't get a chance to go see it in the theater, but the day that it came out on Blu-ray, I, I grabbed it and I watched it and had so much fun with it. And it's been one of those films that I've been recommending because even if you don't like Kung Fu films, it, it's an American made film 
and it's it's a comedy action film, but I, I really like the story. It's, it's about these three aging uh, older men who their teacher from their high school days ends up dying and, and it could be a foul play. So these three guys who haven't practiced, you know, in years and who all have families and everything else decide that they're going to go look out and, and try to find out who killed their master if that's what happened. So it, it's a fantastic film. And I thought, man, I went ahead and bought an extra copy because I wanted to give it away to somebody who listened to the podcast and who participated. So we put the call out there on all of our social media in, in the last episode and say, hey, for me, Paper Tigers is one of my, I don't know, kind of big finds for this year. First time watch, but it was something I wanted to share with everybody. So we said, hey, what are your favorite first time watches in 2021? Did, did you have any, Brad, that kind of stuck out for this year that you were kind of like, hey... I, it doesn't matter what year it came out in, but it was the first time you saw it this year and you've been telling people about it. Oh gosh. I'm sure there's something. I mean, love and monsters is the one I go to quite a bit. Did we watch that this year? That was January, right? Was uh, the best of. Was it? Or was well, it last it was year? December. Yeah. It might've been December. I think so. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head. Well, I, I just watched that Woodstock 99 documentary. I just discovered that. that was oh, that was on cool. HBO max, right? The, the, yeah, the music box documentary. So. Okay. That was good. I'll say that. Yeah, it was very good. Very okay. good. There you go. Well, we had a lot of people send in some stuff and I just wanted to share. So from, uh, and trust me, if, if I have a name, I'll give a name. If I just have a Twitter handle or Instagram, that's what I'm using. But we're starting out with oceans, hungry gasp. Uh, he's a listener that follows us. He recommended from 2012, the man with the iron fists. So Riza. Yep. Which is yeah. a fun film. I, I've never seen the it sequel. Is. Did you ever see the sequel? I saw the sequel. The sequel's not that great, but I, I, I that first one is really fun. Yeah. And actually, Troy, I'm going to admit something to you. I have a whole new different like context for movies now. <laughs> Supernova <laughs> has made me appreciate more movies than I probably will ever appreciate now. Like, because now I have like this thing. It's like, okay, Man with the Iron Fist, Supernova. That's a huge cast. Like that's a, the gap between those two is huge. So it must be good. Yeah. I am with you. Um, another one that came in a couple of times cause Jose, a good friend of the show, who has been on the show talks about this film all the time. It's from 2020. Let him go. Have you seen this film yet? I have not seen let him go. Yeah. I went, I went ahead and ordered it and I, it showed up last week because he, he's talked about this over and over and says it's one of his favorite films that have come out here recently. We had, so this one came up a couple of times and I'm sure it's because of the new 4k release. And I've actually seen a few articles show up on this in, in, you know, mainstream news, et cetera, but we're going to, we're going to give it to leather jacket Buddha for bringing this one up, but it's none other than 1986's Howard the duck. Howard the duck has gotten a, like a much needed sort of reevaluation. Yes. Um, a lot of people are discovering it this year, which surprises me. I got the 4K. I watched it, I think, last weekend or maybe the weekend before. Mm -hmm. It's still really weird. Again, compared to Supernova, it is so much better. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, again, it's a, it, that movie's fun, ridiculous. There's some stuff in it that's really weird. But, again, I remember so much about it, and it, 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 it's fun. Yes. Yeah. Kind of stuff we, that happens. It's coming up on our show. So we have yeah. we have an idea of doing a themed month with, you know, just failed superhero or comic properties. That one's it's on funny there. Because I, I saw I saw an article 
because again, people re- like Robin Williams was originally going to be the yes. voice of Howard the Duck. Yep. Which you know is and Leah Thompson that- is still going to Marvel trying to get them to give her permission to direct a Howard the Duck film. So I've always loved this thing. I, I still have the original soundtrack on vinyl. I, I the, Howard the Duck is one of my favorite comics of all time. So I, ha- I have all of the issues, the original issues, everything. So. We, we will talk about it. I'm, I'm just happy people are talking about Howard the Duck. That 4K is like, it's ridiculous that Howard the Duck is released on 4K, but I love it. Like, yeah, I love it too. I love it. So we have DZ, good friend of the show, who actually um, sent us sort of a gift, uh, a little crocheted mascot that we've- Dude. Um, thing's that awesome, thing right? awesome. Yeah, he recommended from 1959, the giant Gila monster, uh, which is an old black and white kind of fun mm-hmm. creature feature. Yep. So I, I actually love that one. And and tro- I, I will I will tell you, he also sent us some pictures of him standing in front of the, the space needle in Seattle. Oh yeah. yeah, Correct. Yeah. With the um, mascot, you know, my favorite era of music is grunge music based in Seattle. Seeing our t-shirt in front of the space needle almost brought a tear to my eye. So, <laughs> that was cool. Yep. Yeah. Um, Alex, good friend of the show. So he is also on our website with a podcast called friends with Cinefits. I'm almost done with the latest episode. They talked about Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and uh, what's the third one? The World End? or The World's End. The World's End, yep. Fantastic episode. But Alex sent in a, a find for him from a film that just came out this year, 2021's Pig with Nicolas Cage. This movie showed up on a bunch of different um, suggestions. Yeah, and a lot of people are saying Pig is their favorite film of the year. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Tim recommended the empty man from 2020. He says it's going to be a, a new cult classic. I, I don't know anything about it, but I'm adding it to my watch list. Uh, Marlo suggested pig from 2021, but he also suggested one of my favorites bullet in the head from 1990, a John Woo film. Yes. So, uh, our friends over, is it Hong Kong legends that does the specialty stuff? They're working on yep. a bullet in the head transfer right now. Um, Chris sent in a recommendation for Manborg from 2011. Have you seen Manborg? I've seen Manborg. Yes. Astron six, I think is the, uh-huh. yeah. Fun. Fa- did yep. we see that together at a horror hound? We did. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's where we saw it. Um, the movie goer recommended fury, which is an action film from 2019. Uh, it's another one distributed by Wellgo USA. It's a lot okay. of fun. Not fury. The tank movie, right? No, 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 no. This is, okay. I, I want to say it's a Thai film. I could be wrong on that, but I, th- okay. I think it's Thai or Philippines. Uh, Meekin on movies suggested the climb. Now at first I thought he said the climbers, but I went back and looked at the post and it was the climb. And there were two films that came out in 2017 and 2019, both called the climb. So oh. it, he's recommending one of those. Uh, our good friend, Josh had sent us um, some information. He has a fantastic podcast, the VHS podcast files. They just released an episode on Night of the Creeps. So much fun. Um, I love that Creeps, film. Big Bomb. Yep, Big Bomb. They they even talked about it uh, kind of showing up on our show. And and guys, it will show up on our show. We, we should have them over uh, to talk about that. Um, but they recommended 1985's Life Force. So we we definitely need to check that one out because I know that was a bomb. Toby, Toby Hooper, Hooper directed yeah. that? Okay. Um, Justin, good friend and listener recommended fantastic planet from 1973. That tells me somebody took advantage of the criterion cell at Barnes and Noble. (laughs) So, uh, lastly, um, and we'll read his email, but, uh, Ben recommended a scanner darkly, which, um, that's a Richard Linklater film, right? 
Richard Linklater. Yep. Yep. Based on a Philip K. Dick property. Yeah, we we definitely have to add that one. But those those are some fantastic first time watches for 2021. Thank you for everybody who participated. Um, I know a lot of people are listening to the show a couple of weeks behind and they're catching up. Like V as an example, if you if you don't follow us on Twitter, follow us just for her commentary. Uh, but you know, keep sending us in these recommendations. We're gonna continue doing these you know, little contest, because if, if Brad and I discover something and we have a little change in our pocket and we can buy an extra copy, we want to give it away to all of you. Um, we're going to try and do something for the international listeners too. Cause I know, um, we're, we're trying to, you know, win big favors in Sweden because in I, New Zealand, I, yes. I, I know the Swedish fish are made in Canada, but I have to assume that the Swedish company in Sweden influences the distribution or the marketing deals and we're still trying to, it's gotta be it. the national candy, right? It's gotta be, man. It's gotta be. Yeah. But, um, so Brad, we got to pick a winner out of this list to so what I did just real quick. I randomly numbered all these things. So all you have to do is pick a random number one through 13. You don't know what order these are in, but I just went through and went, well, this one's going to be 12. This one's so you're going to pick a number. And then based on whatever number you pick, I'm going to tell you who won a copy of the paper tigers on Blu-ray and we will ship it to that lucky person, and hopefully they will write back to us and tell us what they thought of the film. So, Brad, what number are you picking? I'm going to pick my favorite number, which is number six. Well, our good friend DZ, who recommended the giant Gila monster, is winning a copy of the Paper Tigers. Nice. So, there you go, man. We're going to send that to you. Very cool. Um, what are So, next week starts a brand new month, right? Oh, it does. Thank God. Yeah. So we thought we haven't done this for a while. We would do an entire month kind of based around a theme, right? So what's the theme, Brad? I, I'm pulling up the list because I don't remember. Oh, it's a, it's an animation. Well, specific animation, right? They're all science fiction related. Yeah. Science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Your favorite genre, right? Yeah. So next month we went ahead and said, Hey, let's talk about four movies they're all bombs. They are animated films that fall into the science fiction category. And we are going to kick this little marathon off with, I think, one of the, I don't know. It, to me, I love this film. It is one of my favorite movie posters of all time ever made. Yep. And uh, since it's my pick, I'm like, man, we have to talk about this. And to this day, I have no idea why this thing bombed when it came out in the theaters, but I, I think it's loved by everybody today. It, it sort of found a home obviously when it got into, you know, home media release. But, uh, next week we are going to talk about the iron giant from 1999 directed by Brad bird. Um, I, I know you've seen this film, right, Brad? My, my son loves this movie. We have the extended edition. Um, there's two cuts of it. I could, I could literally, do this episode right now if you really wanted to. So. <laughs> no, no, no. I know. Give a week. We're going to do some research. Give us a chance to watch it two or three times. But that's what we're Vin doing Diesel. in August. Vin, Vin Diesel. Diesel starring Iron Giant. Yes. Harry Connick Jr. lends a voice in there too. Jennifer so, Aniston. Jennifer Aniston. This is going to be, I'm so excited about talking with this film because it's one of those movies that I loved it the first time I saw it in the theaters. I have always talked about it. And I'm so glad that everybody likes it now. But to this day, I cannot understand why it didn't find an audience in the theaters. Obviously, Brad Bird went on to make some really cool films, but I really 
Um, and, and I'm probably showing my cards early. He's never made anything as good as Aaron Giant, in my opinion. I have to look at his filmography closer, but yeah. that might not be a crazy statement. Not like your statement last week. My statement last still, week, I stand behind. From that. Stand behind. So, um, Brad, if anybody wants to get a hold of us and send us some suggestions, how do they do that? Uh, that is not a bomb pod at gmail.com. Uh, get at us at on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, we do a pretty good job getting back at those replies. Um, yeah, we like the interaction. People have been uh, really kind of getting back with us and interacting and engaging with us, and it's been really nice. Um, yeah, we may you know we may actually Pete, start showing up on a few podcasts. We've had a lot of invitations come our way, and I think our schedules are opening up, so we may we may do a couple other shows. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and of course, we're going to say this because like. You know, our follower situation isn't as huge as like some people's, but I, I don't really care about like how many followers we have on certain platforms. It's more of the, Hey, people reach out and they interact and they engage with us. That's, you know, that's what I care about more than, Oh, we have X many followers, but no one ever says anything to us. <laughs> you know, who cares? You know, if people don't talk to you, then it really is irrelevant. So well, yeah, I'm really, speak- really happy with, you know, kind of the way, we're doing it. I agree. And, and speaking of which, we did have some folks send in an email, and I want to share a couple of these. So I'm going to start with Ben's. So he told us about Scanner Darkly, but he said, hey, guys, loving the last few episodes, your brainstorm discussion got me to seek out the film and give it a watch. It is definitely a unique film. I know both have said that you love Philip K. Dick, so I'm suggesting 2006's A Scanner Darkly. It's a Richard Linklater film and definitely has a lot to discuss. So Ben, thank you for that email. We are adding it to the list. Um, it, hey, I don't know. We, we may, it, you know, it wasn't on August, but I may have to switch out my number two for that one. I don't know. Um, we'll, we'll talk about it off air. But that I didn't even think about that pick, and that's a sci-fi animated film, right? Yeah. Yep. yep. Oh. I remember that was one of the first films I got on Netflix, the mail-in, when they finally switched over and will let you do Blu-rays. I got that, like, on the one of the Blu-rays. Oh, cool. I remember man. specifically. Uh, you want to read the next one? Yeah, this one is from our good buddy, Kevin. Uh, Kevin says, hello, Bombers. This short email is about how I wouldn't have watched a film until you recommended it. Kevin, sidebar, we did not recommend (laughs) Supernova, so do not watch it. Yes, don't watch Supernova. (laughs) I watched Blowout, and it is one of the best movies I've ever watched. Enough said, Kevin. That is awesome. See, when... When we talk about listening, like blowout just turned 40, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. That's the type of feedback that I get super excited about is you, we talk about a film somebody may have never heard of, or, or maybe because it bombed, they didn't give it a chance. And we put, I don't know, just a bug in somebody's ear and they go, okay, I'll give it a chance. And they end up loving it. Like that is my favorite type of feedback to get of all time. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yep. I mean, we did that with, you know, a lot of people reached out and said, Hey, I love, Loving monsters. Um, yeah, we still get a lot of feedback on that one, which is crazy. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad Kevin was able to see that movie and, and appreciate it like we did. I have gone back and, and thought about that movie, and it has kind of grown on me as time has like passed. Um, and I, I've really kind of come to appreciate the, the genius that that movie is. And um, I was a little. I wouldn't say lukewarm, but 
definitely not as high on it as you and Sammy were, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting to that point now. So, yeah, I, I think if you go watch it again after our discussion, it'll, it'll shoot up to the top. Yep. Uh, Hey, you know what? Even though we talked about a really, really crappy film, I had a lot of fun tonight, man. I did too. Um, also one more thing before we go, mm-hmm. uh, we will be doing our, our, our watch, our not a bomb watches cowboy bebop starting soon. Oh yeah. Um, it's either this week or next week. Um, so look for those episodes probably on Saturday. Um, we'll see how that goes, the turnaround time on that, but look for those it's coming soon. Our little us side project. And, yeah. Us and uh, Sammy from gentleman's guide. So we're excited for that. At least I am. I, I am too. Excuse to, to rewatch the series. Never seen it. I can't wait to dive into it. Uh, my daughter, angel, made me watch the avatar, the last airbender series, which I kind of was like now kids cartoon, but man, she loved it. And she was lobbying that daily. So I sat down, watched the entire series with her. Oh my God, that thing's amazing. So I'm, I'm really going to watch Cora. Uh, I think so after we're done with cowboy bebop, cause I, I'm just, I'm ready for another animated series, like to dive right in. So I'm glad we're, we're doing this one. And I, I mean, you're the anime expert. I've I've seen the big stuff, but, yeah, this, this to me is all new. So it'll Very be fun. cool. Yep. Um, a couple of things. If you like our podcast, you might like the VHS files podcast. You might like the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema night of the living podcast. Um, what's another good one? Oh, the Backlook cinema podcast. I've been having a lot of fun going through their episodes, but listen, take a, you know, take a minute, go download those episodes. If you like them, leave a rating. If you like us, leave a rating, continue sending us feedback. We love the engagement. We love the interaction. We love your recommendations. And tell us what you think about all the movies we talked about, except Supernova. If if anything happens, we want to make sure that we don't get any emails or feedback on Supernova because that lets us know that you listened to us and you stayed <laughs> far away from that movie. So, um, <sighs> yeah. Yeah. That one was rough. That was that so was rough. That almost makes you kind of go like, ooh, do I want to watch movies anymore? Yeah. Um, not a cool hobby when you come across something like that. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. I mean, that ruined my Friday night. <laughs> yeah, that 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 ruined my Saturday. I was like, dude, that <laughs> no bueno. No. <laughs> well, we'll listen. watch anything else. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, hey, folks, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. I, hey, we say it all the time. We are super, super grateful that you download the episode and you're listening. And I hope you are having an amazing, awesome day. Don't lose your head. <laughs> <laughs>